to Picton's podcast. A mixed bag in this episode, including the pastafarian diet, hypnosis, rebounding, fast 800, free will, and rand, and climate change. The pastafarian diet. The pastafarian religion is not onerous in its tenets, as its main dogma is there are no dogmas. The background is handily summarised elsewhere on my Astral Project's blog and on Picton's podcast. Admittedly, hot dog buns are a no-no, and eating pasta dressed as a pirate is an encouraged ritual. But as I sat in contemplation, the flying spaghetti monster himself came unto me. Tom, you have done well with the excellent dirty keto diet, but I'm here to impart fresh, noodly wisdom. I touched his noodly appendage in disbelief and awe. Tell me more, Lord. Pasta is the ultimate health food, my child. Really? But aren't you made of... Rude. What many people don't realise is pasta is quite low on the glycemic index if you don't overcook it. Likewise, most sauces, meats and cheeses. You could even put a little butter in. Nice. What else is on the menu? Many fruits like apples, peaches, even a banana or two. Non-starchy veg. Well, okay if I get desperate. Peanuts and mixed nuts, even a bag of peanut M&Ms. A little chocolate is good, as part of a protein bar or mixed with nuts. And red wine actually improves insulin sensitivity. Now you're talking. And you don't have to stick to it all the time. But it fills you up without willpower being needed as human beings don't have free will after all. Mm. Hey, wait. Have you copied all of this from Scott Adams' book How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big? The guy who writes Dilbert and is obsessed with Trump? Maybe some of it. Anyway, you're welcome. Rayman, I intoned respectfully as he wriggled out of the window. Take a trance on me. Hypnosis remains a mystery to me. It certainly looks as if hypnosis works, sometimes, in some specific ways, with some people more than others. But what actually is it, and why? Even the experts don't seem to agree. Darren Brown has been doing the interview rounds, plugging his Netflix specials, and started off as a hypnotist, still using some of the techniques now. A lot of trouble is gone to finding the most suggestible people, of those who seem most in a trance in stage shows, many admit later they were just being compliant and were aware of what was going on. For example, if someone eats an onion after being told it's an apple, some will say they knew it was an onion but ate it anyway, whereas others will remember it being an apple. Some will swear until the dying day Darren becomes invisible, etc. TV may well show just the bits that worked. For example, when Darren was making people forget what tube station they were getting off at, there were plenty of others it had no effect on. Hypnotists can't agree what is happening when people are in a trance. Is it just intense focus on their part, or has the hypnotist displaced their brain's executive function for a time? There are a series of entertaining and cheap books on Amazon by the rogue hypnotist, but the scripts and techniques often seem such a hassle. 
There's a lot of work to be done in watching the subject's responses and adapting to them. It clearly needs a lot of work and experience to become proficient. And why does it only work for things like giving up smoking and phobias with the occasional operation without anaesthesia thrown in? I've seen a few stage shows where people I know well have gone into trance and done embarrassing things, and a session with other doctors had them rigid lying between chairs and having blades put through them without feeling it. Past life regression seems to be another lucrative field, but does anyone believe the accounts generated or traumas from the life people have apparently remembered under hypnosis? Then there is waking hypnosis such as NLP, with claims of rapid cures of neurotic conditions and the power to manipulate others, including on the dating scene, but just not enough acknowledged impact on society to say it is definitely a thing or a way for life coaches and gurus to trail some more cash. Richard Bandler seems the top man in the NLP field, but he has a lurid history, building on the work of the seeming wizard Milton Erickson. One of the chapters, A Walk in the Woods, in my first Astral Projects book, was written entirely in hypnotic language. Only two people became suspicious of one part when I read it out at my writing group, writes said Fred. Some say television generates alpha waves, making viewers more susceptible to its programming. The placebo effect is undoubtedly real, often more powerful than medications it's tested against and capable of causing side effects, but we don't know how. I, for one, would be fascinated to find out more but get the feeling we probably never will. But for now, I'm feeling sleepy and suddenly feel the impulse to buy lots of rogue hypnotist books. Strange. On the rebound. Readers of my blog and listeners to the podcast will know that any lazy hack when it comes to diet and exercise will be considered. Walking is probably the easiest exercise, if you have to do it every day anyway, but the next best thing may be rebounding. This is using a mini trampoline to bounce while watching television or similar. They're pretty cheap. I've just picked up a classic Reebok one for free. Sure, there are insanely expensive ones which have bungee cords instead of metal springs for a lower impact exercise, but why not start basic and see how you get on? It's probably good to do some sort of exercise every day rather than nothing. NASA demonstrated the benefits of rebounding this exercise in a research paper, which is referenced on the Astral Projects blog. Tony Robbins, who insists he's not your guru, recommends rebounding as it gives him energy in a way that higher impact exercises such as jogging don't. Benefits are said to include improving circulation, increasing the capacity of the heart and lungs, lowering cholesterol, improving coordination and balance, reducing stress, improving muscle tone, increasing energy and vitality, and boosting the lymphatic and immune systems. Some say it uniquely exercises all cells of the body. Some people have lost a lot of weight. It will certainly at least gently burn calories. So if you've let yourself go over Christmas, this could be one way to bounce back in the new year. Next, a diet and free will catch up. So, the pastafarian diet may still be the answer. Pasta is lush after all. I'm still rebounding too. But meanwhile, Michael Mosley, one of my favourite gurus, seems to have recycled all of his books into the latest Fast 800. 
I've skimmed it. There's much holistic filler, but the key seems to be keeping to between two and seven, 800 calorie days a week with Mediterranean style food injected elsewhere. 800 calories is doable. It's more than the 500 to 600 previously permitted on a fast day by Mosley. Seven days of it for a phase could be tough. Hence, most of the rest of the book. If it's all condensed into one main meal and the rest of life stucks are in a row, then putting the work into making that meal the best possible is key. Keeping to intermittent fasting eating windows is another development in the book. Free will. After my recent Incompatible Determinist blog post and podcast, I've been checking out the other side of the debate. Not a lot ultimately compelling found so far. It's a complicated area. Daniel Dennett, one of the original Four Horsemen New Atheists, compatibilist and information philosopher, has written extensively that a form of free will worth having exists and has bitterly debated this against fellow horseman Sam Harris. Another source that's pro-free will is the objectivism of Anne Rand and her followers. More to come on her later. The latter would maintain, as it seems that we obviously feel we have free will, this should be automatically accepted as an axiom and so not even be up for debate. If as a determinist you state all of your ideas are predetermined for you via external factors and not decided by yourself, they hence may well be wrong and this could also include the strong conviction that there's no free will. Hence, that conviction is potentially invalid. We must do our best to put the effort in to choose to think rationally. Consciousness, whatever it is and wherever it comes from, is certainly a given, as is external existence. These we must accept and build on, not philosophical thought experiments. Objectivism, inspired by Aristotle and Locke, does seem to be something of the cult, however, leaning too heavily on one woman's ideas, which is always to put too many of one's eggs in one basket. I can see there are a lot of logical paradoxes and ways to seemingly prove things that are impossible in philosophy in general. The hard problem of consciousness also remains unsolved, so I'm prepared to sit on the fence and pragmatically assume free will is a thing, at least for now. More on Anne Rand and objectivism. This is a summary by Anne herself. 1. Metaphysics, objective reality. 2. Epistemology, reason. 3. Ethics, self-interest. 4. Politics, capitalism. If you want this translated into simple language, it would read 1. Nature to be commanded must be obeyed, or wishing won't make it so. 2. You can't eat your cake and have it too. 3. Man is an end in himself. 4. Give me liberty or give me death. Or in less simple language, 1. Reality exists as an objective absolute. Facts are facts, independent of man's feelings, wishes, hopes or fears. 2. Reason, the faculty which identifies and integrates the material provided by man's senses, is man's only means of perceiving reality, his only source of knowledge, his only guide to action and basic means of survival. 3. Man, every man, is an end in himself, not the means to the ends of others. He must exist for his own sake, neither sacrificing himself to others, nor sacrificing others to himself. The pursuit of his own rational self-interest and of his own happiness is the highest moral purpose of his life. 4. The ideal political economic system is laissez-faire capitalism. 
It is a system where men deal with one another not as victims and executioners, nor as masters and slaves, but as traders, by free voluntary exchange to mutual benefit. It is a system where no man may obtain any values from others by resorting to physical force, and no man may initiate the use of physical force against others. The government acts only as a policeman that protects men's rights. It uses physical force only in retaliation, and only against those who initiate its use, such as criminals or foreign invaders. In a system of full capitalism, there should be, but historically has not yet been, a complete separation of state and economics in the same way for the same reasons as the separation of state and church. Interesting. Is Rand a voice for freedom or a justifier of selfishness? Is allowance made for people's difficult circumstances, often being due to bad luck rather than lack of effort? Is reality really real with quantum physics in the mix? And how much does she influence Trump? Well, apart from the bit about being rational. The final segment for this podcast, climate change pros and cons. You know me, always want to shy away from controversy. Is climate change due to human activity? This is a sacred cow that is simply not allowed to be questioned. Apparently 97% of scientists say yes, and the mental health of anyone who disputes it is challenged with great ferocity. So let's look at the pros and cons of humans being the cause. Pros. NASA present a graph on their website based on the comparison of atmospheric samples contained in ice cores and more recent direct measurements, providing evidence that atmospheric carbon dioxide has increased since the Industrial Revolution. They state the current warming trend is of particular significance because most of it is extremely likely, greater than 95% probability, to be the result of human activity since the mid-20th century and proceeding at a rate that is unprecedented over decades to millennia. The heat-trapping nature of carbon dioxide and other gases was demonstrated in the mid-19th century. Their ability to affect the transfer of infrared energy through the atmosphere is the scientific basis of many instruments flown by NASA. There is no question that increased levels of greenhouse gases must cause the Earth to warm in response. Ice cores drawn from Greenland, Antarctica and tropical mountain glaciers show that the Earth's climate responds to changes in greenhouse gas levels. Ancient evidence can also be found in tree rings, ocean sediments, coral reefs and layers of sedimentary rocks. This ancient or paleoclimate evidence reveals that current warming is occurring roughly 10 times faster than the average rate of ice age recovery warming. Their evidence for rapid climate change is from global temperature rise, warming oceans, shrinking ice sheets, glacial retreat, decreased snow cover, sea level rise, declining Arctic sea ice, extreme events and ocean acidification. Bloomberg Businessweek discounts non-human causes as having a negligible effect, such as the Earth's orbit, the sun and volcanoes. But they also discount deforestation, ozone and aerosol pollution. They show by far the greatest effect is from greenhouse gases, especially since 1950, and refer to a global project and research by NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, GISS. Now on to cons. Forbes states that the 97% of climate scientists are said to agree that there is a global warming trend and that human beings are the main cause, that is that we are over 50% responsible but that the warming is only 0.8 degrees over the past 150 years, 
a warming that has tapered off to essentially nothing in the last decade and a half. A Forbes article argues that even if they were right, it in no way, shape or form would imply that we should restrict fossil fuels which are crucial to the livelihood of billions. Forbes then look at the study the 95% figure is based on by Cook. A quick scan of the paper reveals that this is not the case. Cook is able to demonstrate that only a relative handful endorse the view that the earth is warming up and human emissions of greenhouse gases are the main cause. Cook calls this explicit endorsement with quantification. Quantification meaning 50% or more. The problem is only a small percentage of the papers fall into this category. Cook does not say what percentage, but when the study was publicly challenged by economist David Friedman, one observer calculated that only 1.6% explicitly stated that man-made greenhouse gases caused at least 50% of global warming. Where did most of the 97% come from then? Cook had created a category called explicit endorsement without quantification, that is, papers in which the author, by Cook's admission, did not say whether 1% or 50% or 100% of the warming was caused by man. He had also created a category called implicit endorsement for papers that imply, but don't say, that there is some man-made global warming, and don't quantify it. In other words, he created two categories that he labelled as endorsing a view that they most certainly didn't. The 95% claim, 97% claim, is a deliberate misrepresentation designed to intimidate the public, and numerous scientists whose papers were classified by Cook protested. Finally, here are some quotes from controversial scientist and climate change sceptic Tony Heller. The claims of 97% consensus are a massive lie. Only 52% of American Meteorological Society members believe that man is the primary contributor to global warming. The radiative transfer models used by government climate scientists show that going up to 550 parts per million, or even 1,000 parts per million carbon dioxide, will make minimal difference to the radiative balance of the atmosphere. The knee of the carbon dioxide curve is at about 30 parts per million, and additional carbon dioxide has little first-order effect. This is because almost all radiation in the carbon dioxide absorption spectra is already being absorbed by water or carbon dioxide molecules. Adding more carbon dioxide has minimal effect because there is not much radiation left to be observed. This is a bit of an oversimplification because of second-order effects, but those are also small. There is no indication from the radiative transfer models used by government scientists that additional carbon dioxide will cause large amounts of heating. The temperature record of both the US and the world has been massively altered since older versions, almost invariably to create the appearance of more warming, and in some cases to create warming where there is none. Sea level has been rising for 20,000 years, and is now 400 feet higher than it was when the first humans walked to North America from Asia across the Bering Strait. Most of the apparent sea level rise on the US east coast is due to the land sinking, not sea level rising. There has been little or no sea level rise on the west coast. The weather is not getting more severe. Since President Obama took office, there have been three US hurricane strikes, the fewest of any presidency. While Grover Cleveland was president in the 1880s, the US was hit by 26 hurricanes. The US is currently experiencing its longest period since the 1860s without a major Category 3 to 5 hurricane strike. The last one was Wilma in 2005. Florida is currently experiencing the longest period on record without a hurricane strike. The US tornado count over the past two years has been the lowest in the modern record. 
America's worst forest fires account in 1871, when thousands of people burned to death in horrific firestorms around the Great Lakes on the same day the Chicago burned to the ground. Climate is cyclical and is always changing. People always imagine that they live in the worst of times, as an 1871 article from the Brisbane Courier states. I've assembled a large collection of old newspaper articles about the weather, below 350 parts per million carbon dioxide. If you read through this, you will understand that lowering carbon dioxide will not make the weather any better or worse. So, looking at all those pros and cons, should the sacred cow be slaughtered to reduce the metaphorical methane and hot air it's producing? Or are many skeptics conspiracy nuts or in the pay of industrialists who aim to profit at the expense of future humanity? I don't know whether I can trust anyone anymore. Good night from me, the now. Oh, oh, oh.